0: Hi, everyone, I'm Denise Garth, Chief Strategy Officer at Majesco, and you're listening to the Future of Insurance Industry Leaders podcast series. Follow along as I interview the best and brightest leaders in the insurance industry and insure tech landscape to bring you the latest in digital transformation, innovation, industry trends, challenges, and opportunities, as well as next-gen technologies. We use our experience to anticipate what's next without losing sight of what's now. Stay tuned to find out your next now. Welcome everybody to today's Industry Leaders Future of Insurance podcast series. I am thrilled to welcome Dr. Henna Karna here with me on today's series. I want to welcome you, Henna. And it's been such a pleasure to get to know you over the last year.
1: Thank you so much, Denise. Back at you. It's been amazing, actually. The few folks that are out there that are like us, that are trying to move the industry forward, it's its super delightful. It's invigorating, to be honest, to meet you, Denise. I'm, I'm delighted to be here.
0: So one of the things I like to do in every podcast is for people to introduce themselves yeah. and give a little bit of their background. And in your case, Hannah, if you could do that, and then also talk about the vision you created at Google for insurance, because that was really kind of the impetus of us meeting and having many conversations.
1: You know, background wise, I'm kind of a boomerang in the industry. I've, I've left insurance in some shape or form at least three times. I keep coming back. It's quite an addiction to try to make the world a better place, isn't it? So this, I fell in love with it the older I suppose I got, the more involved I got in, into the ability to shape the industry further. And so while I Googled, the most important thing I had to do was to try to organize our industry's perspective and then make meaning out of it where we t- can technology-wise solve those things. And that came from everything from like the technology in our skill sets, in our people and skill sets, um, the capabilities that we need to sort of unlock our DNA, our data, within the organizations, you know, proprietary to those organizations? And then of course, how do we now make sure that we can scale things, make sure that we can make things much more robust and, and optimized? That's a journey that our industry has been on. No matter what role I've been in, whichever company I've been at, it's the same old, same old. But you know, what's happened is that the last four or five years, it's become much more viable. It's become much more affordable. That's a, a big thing for us in our industry. We always watch our expense ratio. And it's become much more affordable. So my prior role, one of the things that I was doing at AXA was you know, trying to figure out how to make sure things got better for our underwriters, our actuaries, our reserving, and, and our pricing colleagues, our claims colleagues. So when I joined Google, that was the most critical thing in my mind. It was, how do I make the lives of our experts in our industry better. And we sort of defined three things. There were three major themes that we had put in place. One of them was creating analytics at scale. And mind you, this is a theme that our industry is already saying. So this is not net new. So how do we create analytics at scale? How do we create more customer centricity? And how do we make sure that our understanding of risk at a micro and macro level is really robust, thoughtful enough, and or more thoughtful than we can do it now. So those are really the three major areas of focus, what I've been doing with the last, I guess, three, four years now.
0: Wow. What an amazing kind of journey. And you're right. It really has become very viable here in the last four to five years. And I think one of the areas that you and I've had a lot of conversations around is really about the application around data and analytics around the customer for the future. You know, they have new expectations. They've got different lifestyles and behaviors, particularly this younger generation of millennials and Gen Z who are now um, the dominant buyers out in, in the marketplace across any business. And they have really robust digital proficiency and they have a different perspective about risk. They really like to have personalized pricing and underwriting that's more specific to the risk because their lifestyles and behaviors are different. What is it that we need to accomplish from an insurance perspective to really give that personalization and, and yet humanization around the products and the underwriting and the servicing that we do? And how can data analytics help in that?
1: It's a great question. The number of times we often hear this question on what can we do, a plethora of ways of answering it. But as you were talking about this, one thing that came into my mind was that when I speak to the new generations in front of us who are going to be the, the bearers of the policies you know, for the next, say, 100 years, that generation is asking us some simple question. They're asking us, why are we separating policies from my auto and my home and my travel and whatever else? Why is it so complicated? In reality, they're asking us, how do we fulfill our primary purpose for insurance, our primary purpose for insurance, which is safety and security? How do we fulfill that on demand? How do we fulfill that profile per individual need? And how do we fulfill it in a way that it's rich in terms of experiences? That's really what the generation in front of us is asking when they look for value, when they're looking for this personalized, humanized approach. And if you think about it from their point of view, gosh, we sound a little Behind the times, we sound that, you know, we are working on.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a little.
1: (laughs) Uh, Just a little, right? If I was to go to a high school, we were talking about, you know, what is this thing called insurance? I didn't bring up, hey, by the way, everybody that drives a car has auto insurance, at least in the the US, or everybody tends to look for insurance when they buy their biggest asset, i.e. their home. I didn't bring it up that way. I actually brought it up from the point of view of this concept of safety. And it was very funny because, of course, I brought the idea of privacy. And the importance of privacy because a student there mentioned to me well that's not a problem i mean you know who has a bodyguard that doesn't see you for who you are every bodyguard sees you i loved it i was like right we are the bodyguard (laughs) i mean that's a little bit you know funny to say but that's all right it is true
0: it is true
1: exactly exactly so i think the bottom line is we need to start to figure out in order to how do we accomplish this we need to start to figure out how to move ourselves from being static to becoming dynamic. It's not as simple as that, but it's quite that clear for us. We are static in our decisioning, in our analysis, you know, and sometimes even though maybe our customer experience may not be static, but our outcome and our output, even claims adjusting sometimes is very static. How do we go from static to dynamic? And I'll share with you one quick other example. And I don't know, Genius, tell me this is fun. This is too, too dramatic, but and on the record, I don't believe our underwriters are going anywhere. Our actuaries are not going anywhere. We need them. You know, they are the, the bloodline of our industry. ChatGPT and others are not going to take away those jobs. <laughs> but, exactly. Right? But there is an interesting concept of the idea of a COO. What is that job? The reason I'm challenging that is oftentimes our operating functions lean into technology and data. Their subsets are technology and data and other things as well. What if we reverse that dialogue? Because most technology and data divisions are trying to get the operations to be more optimal. Right? They're trying to help us either reduce reconciliation, increase sort of a a connection of information that's more possible, more viable, more dynamic. What if we reversed it around and we said, actually, the operations of our company is going to now be tech-led or data-led? What does that look like? As opposed to operations-led with technology behind the scenes.
0: A really interesting way to kind of flip it, yeah.
1: Maybe that's where we have to go to accomplish this.
0: It really gets to the concept. What is an insurance company? Are they a technology company that happens to provide insurance? Or is it an insurance company with technology behind the scenes? It's kind of that same concept, Hannah. I think that's a really interesting point. Is there any
1: company that isn't tech-led first? Our expertise in our industry is always going to understanding how to insure and how to understand risk, both historical and the upcoming. You know, now we're looking at forecasting more and more, and looking at you know mitigation. And you and I talk about resiliency often. We're looking at that. But that's also based on technology. You know, We can only serve our customer based on the dynamic technology. So that's really where perhaps every company is now becoming tech-led.
0: I want to dig into a little bit around that concept about being a bodyguard, that insurance is the bodyguard and the, kind of that security and safety. Customers really do want to have that security and that safety, and they want confidence in that. But what we sell them is a loss recovery contract assuming that something's going to happen and we're just going to pay out. More and more, I think customers are expecting that they not only want you to kind of assess and price the risk, but they want you to help avoid the risk and really have this concept of risk resilience with customers. And data and analytics really play into this to really help avoid the risk and help people not have to deal with all the losses that sometimes will happen. What are you seeing in the industry? What's some innovation around that from a data and analytics play?
1: Yeah, Denise, I think one of the most awesome moments I had with you was when you brought up this idea of resiliency, and I've been stuck with it. Truly, it's like, it's a word that originated from you. And I I always, like say Denise said, really, it's just the right word. That's the right word. And think about it from a moment. You know, when we think about resiliency, our, our human beings, we're super resilient. Some of the most horrific catastrophes, we somehow get up and we start to walk again. We do that time and time again. So this industry that's supposed to help us make sure that we have the toolkit in order to do that, really has to have the the ability to, to make it happen. So there's going to be like a, a dependency on the industry. And one criteria for that is time, is how long and how quickly can our industry help us recover? And there's so much analysis that comes out in our industry that talks about resiliency or recovery and quality and time being the most critical correlation across the quality of the recovery that occurs. In our minds, I think one of the things that really keeps me up at night is to think about how quickly can we get our act together when something just dramatic or drastic occurs, when there is a life-changing event for any individual or any company or any country, when that occurs, are we ready to sort of create that resiliency fast so that we can get the quality back intact? For those event holders or policy holders. And I guess the most critical thing for us to recognize is that there is no reason technically to not be super, super good at that, super, super resilient and allow for recovery and inequality, you know, timeframe computationally and algorithmically, and even with having human in the loop to make sure that we are uh, thoughtful and we, we're not, you know, giving it away to algorithms that don't understand humanity, that we still need the creative angle and the the emotional intelligence behind all of this. But technically, there's nothing limiting us. And so now the question is, why not now?
0: Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the things that is really interesting, Hannah, is that if we really kind of focused in on that risk resilience, not only is it really great for the customers, but it's going to be great for the insurance companies because by avoiding those losses, we actually can potentially achieve greater profitability and potentially drive down some of the costs of some of our insurance products.
1: You're right. And you had asked me the earlier question around ideas that I've seen out there. And Denise, I can give you a few simple ones. We were part of a few incubators or accelerators in our industry, and there are some amazing, creative, and insightful sort of approaches. They're superb. Some of these things that our our colleagues in the industry are are working on. Um, So there's a a plethora that I could give you in terms of ideas, but there's some simple ones. There's ideas of, I would say them the, the ones that I find really intriguing are the ones that are a rising tide that lifts all ships. They're specific enough to, to bite, they're, they're specific enough to actually get a use case going and, and make the value proposition you know, visible and evident and measurable. That is very critical for any effort that we take on, whether large or small. But what really intrigues me are the ones that actually are making making the base layer of our capabilities you know, more mature such that the domino effect and impact is that much more grander. And I mean th- something as simple as, I'll give you an example of a company that I really respect, Saitora. They're really thinking differently about the understanding of the map, of the taxonomy, the, sort of the insurance perspective that we need when it comes to data analytics, the metadata, data of the data that we really need to make sure that we're thorough of, of our analyses and so on. So I, I find that company to be pretty impressive. There's a few companies that I've seen just more recently that are IoT sensory driven, that are bringing together skill sets or information of people that are carrying IoT sensory devices together, but they're actually upping their skills. One of this company is actually talking about prompt engineers. So when you go to google.com and you search the last wildfires in in California, you'll search those words. There's now engineers that are actually designing the prompt specifics. How does that cascade down to the information gathering of it? So there's a couple of such companies that are just working on that. How do you connect a question with information within the organization of, of companies. Really, really cool stuff.
0: Really cool.
1: It's going to change the way we work, which I think is the most critical thing, right? It's not changing a policy type or we, we do need to, that as well. But if we can change the way we work, then everyone's yeah. going to move, you know, in a direction that's momentum.
0: You know, one of those areas where it's really taking front and center this year, given the loss ratios that the PNC industry in particular experienced last year due to a lot of CAT events, but just the impact of supply chain costs and the increased cost of repairs of vehicles and homes and all the materials that have increased from an inflation standpoint. And it gets back to underwriting. We've got to get back to the fundamentals of underwriting because that's really the heart of the insurance business and how we evaluate individual risks and the exposures individually, but also across a portfolio is really essential to profitability. And data and analytics really come into play in this because it's not just always the same set of data that we've always used in the underwriting process, but we may have to kind of broaden our view as to other sources of data pull them in to give us a much different view, not just about the individual risk, but also how the implication of that is into the portfolio to be able to underwrite it, but also understand what the implications could be for your reinsurance. What are you kind of seeing in the underwriting space and the use of data and the innovation around there, Hannah?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Actually, a lot is going on in the underwriting space. And I guess perhaps on the claim side as well. But on the underwriting space, there's a few things that are super critical. One of the biggest trends that I've been working on, in fact, actually, that and only because our customers and everyone that I've worked with in the industry kind of like gravitated towards this space. And over the last three years, I've spoken to almost 600 executives, C-level executives all over the globe in insurance, whether it's you know, brokerage, reinsurance, or agents, or actual carriers at every line of business. But the major thing that they were working on was trying to unlock their information at the point of underwriting. It was for two things. It wasn't just to unlock it so I can pre-fill it. It was actually to figure out what risks are they leaving on the table? What risks are they leaving on the table? And of course, what risks are they taking? And whether those are the right, you know, apple, you know, cherry picking or what would you like to call it based on their growth strategy or their specific, you know, region or whatever it might be, criteria of focus. Those are the two things that they're really looking at is how do I know what I didn't actually quote and bind? What do I know about that so that they can understand the market? And that is stuff left on the table. Nobody was really capturing that because it was hard enough to capture what we were
0: actually quote and binding. Exactly. You know, one of the things that you and I have talked about and one of the visions that you had was really how do we manage and how do we have access to this kind of plethora of data that just keeps growing around us. I mean, you can talk about, you know, all this IoT data, but we've got lots of other data and we've had a lot of data inside insurance companies, but we just haven't used it very well, or we haven't been able to pull it out to, to use it. And so there's a lot of different opportunities to be able to use data internally to your organizations, but sometimes organizations don't necessarily have access to the data that they need to be able to create the models or have the models, you know, leveraging some of that data. And that really got to one of the things that you really kind of had a vision about. We have a lot of data providers out in the industry, but how do we begin to kind of pull this stuff together so that it kind of makes it easy for any size of an insurer to have access to data and to kind of combine it in different ways? I think that is really one of the most interesting things to kind of think about from a market perspective at what could we do differently in a collaborative way within the industry. Thoughts on that?
1: The key word you used actually Denise was collaborative. We have a lot of data in our companies that are a couple of different kinds. There are ones that are they're all in our company but they have there some of them are utility data factors like location I would call utility data. Then there's some you know sort of non-differentiating data perhaps how I decide to organize regions or or define them you know each company slightly does that differently or even sort of risk associated to different regions we may have a different sort of algorithm there and then there is data that is definitely differentiating you know they're proprietary they're the ip of the company specific to that organization perhaps it's on the modeling side or on the even looking at risk and growth understanding our limit understanding our endorsements all of those things that's on the differentiating side so if we break them all into sort of three major buckets the question is why do we spend as an insurance company or as a brokerage company or an agent any time why do we spend any time on the utility data? Because that data actually is agnostic to insurance even. That data, if I think of location, the earth is only so round. I only have certain spots of the earth. <laughs> yes, it's, it, location is a beautiful concept, but we have that in everything that we're doing, no matter which line of business, whether it's PNC or life, it doesn't matter. But it is actually not a massive differentiator. It's only a differentiator now because we, some of us are doing it better than the other parts of our industry, but it is a base foundation of our world and it's a base foundation for many industries so we shouldn't reinvent how to fix or manage or maintain or you know elaborate on the specifics of a location we should just get that let the expert in the industry the people who do it best you know do that part that's their bread and butter we take from them basically i'm saying let's not reinvent the wheel or we don't have to in our industry that's where we create the most power of our resources who are very insurance and risk savvy then take that baseline take that rising tide that lifts all ships and start to make it non-differentiating, start to make it differentiating for their organization at whole. It's such a simple thing that we are talking about here, but we don't do that because we're so busy trying to get our BAU intact, our business as usual going, that we don't realize that maybe a majority of the things our colleagues are spending time on are actually utility, not at all differentiating. And in that first bucket, so the comment that you're making in terms of collaboration is so key. How do we now get our industry to work together to solve this baseline activity, to make it such that we work with partners in our ecosystem? The thing that has changed because technology has become so proficient and so, sort of open sourced, I guess you could say, is that we can now get our ecosystem to work with us. You know, Previously, perhaps each carrier was kind of on their own, but now that's not the case. In every industry, ecosystems are starting to come together to move the industry forward. And so does insurance have to do that. And so there are parts of the ecosystem that it does geospatial analytics super, super well. We want that. We want that and so that we can make it better for our own space. I think that's how I would sort of imagine it is if we're not in the business of creating geospatial, let's not spend time on that. Let's spend time on using that information to create the business that we're in, which is risk mitigation, risk management, risk protection, and so on.
0: And that whole concept of collaborative really gets to is there a way that there could be, through that collaboration, access to kind of what I call a contributory database of different types of data, that if you're contributing, you get something back in return. And obviously, you don't want to contribute something that's going to be kind of your secret sauce or something that's really unique. We want to keep that privacy aspect there. But I think we've got to kind of think outside of our four walls with insurance companies that, oh, we got to protect all of our data, and this is only unique to us to say, What could we actually contribute that we might get something greater back in return?
1: I love that. Yes. Machesco is like one of those prime for this because it is an important thing about contributing data. And it is a, you know, it's a relationship. It's a two-way street in that conversation. But as we start to put things together that are on that utility area into that one bucket, that first bucket, and we put it into an architecture that makes it easy for our colleagues to consume that information so that we can sort of bring it together with what we have that are non-differentiating or differentiating within our companies, that format starts to become more and more possible. Again, there's nothing stopping us technically. It's really just, you know, can we decide to do this? And frankly, what we were working on it has been that process. I would say even before in my prior roles, even before Google and in my go forward sort of the vision that we should be thinking about as an industry is going to be about how do we start to make sure it's a, a rising tide that lifts all ships, which means how do we put together, contribute information or insight or even sort of data assets, if you want to think of it that way, in an environment where it's easy to drag and drop, make things more viable for our analysts, our actuary colleagues, our data scientists to take a look, validate, assess, maybe even complement, right, and then move forward with it. That's, I think, going to be more and more possible. Well, it is possible now but more and more the the base sort of requirement for us to move forward as an industry. Frankly speaking, Denise, no one has the ROI to do it individually on their own. It's really all of us together.
0: Exactly. We have a track record in the past of where we've come together as an industry to do those types of things. And we just need to do it again because with the explosion of data and all these different sources of data, nobody can do this on their own to your point. Nobody has the ROI, period.
1: I love what you said because it's so true. We're not talking about anything foreign in our industry. We've done this before and we mm-hmm. did a super, super job with it. Part of the dialogue I had with Google with our Accord colleagues. So Accord is amazing that way. I mean, yes, we have lots of different variations of Accord, but it to create standardization for things that need not be super complicated is a critical facet for our ability to go dynamic, which is the, the earlier part of our conversation, Denise. So if we want to be dynamic and let our new, new generations really love us, not find us as a necessary evil. Then that means that our model of just getting information and being you know more resilient in giving those information is the bottom line criteria, and we can't do it alone.
0: And you know one of those things to really take advantage of this potential collaboration, the, the access to potential contributory databases, access to these new data sources, it's really going to be underpinned by what I call next generation technology. It's got to be cloud. We've got to be able to have APIs. Obviously, it's AI and machine learning and maybe natural language processing. We've got to have ecosystems. It's got to be new core systems, policy billing and claims that you can easily pull out the data from them. Versus maybe a system 10, 15 years ago that we hard-coded a lot of stuff inside the system. And it's very difficult to pull the data out. We got to be able to kind of be able to have the right technology to be able to take advantage of these types of things today and into the future. What are you seeing as you talk to all of these executives across various different companies? How are they looking at technology as kind of that foundation, future-proofing what they really need to be able to do going forward?
1: That's great perspectives there. Actually, so they're doing a couple of things. One, I think there's now more than ever recognition that the carriers or the companies themselves don't have to build everything from scratch. They're finally, I think, looking elsewhere for those utility factors. You know, so cloud, of course, was the primary sort of starting point, but everything from just data governance. Do we need to build our own structure for that? And why aren't we just using companies that are out there that can bring it together for us? This is sort of like, let's not create a Frankenstein. Let's not create too many players that don't work well together. So there's a happy medium that we have to get to. But there are more and more the trend of organizations sort of recognizing that build it internally is not the most competitively advantageous activity because when they build it, they have to maintain it. And their people get lost in the maintenance of that activity which may or may not be differentiating for the company so that's really a big shift that i'm seeing in the resources and the way that even core capabilities are being done the second thing i think when it comes to ai ml and ecosystem you can quote me this is sort of the way i say it here is the originator owns the data this concept is so scary for us in some ways but it goes back to the fact that why are we fixing someone else's zip code Oh, why are we trying right <laughs> yeah why are we why are we trying to figure out industry code again and again in our process those are things that are just kind of they're predetermined in some way so how do we make that an easier thing for us so a lot of that is i think shifting in our industry so there's a little less patience for the underwriting processes for underwriting experts to say i i don't have information here like what is going on why can i not just get this so there's a lot of Inpatients now, which I think before was like, I'll just put up with it. Now there's a huge sort of level of this is just not okay anymore. Um, So companies like Neural Metrics and so many others, Bold Penguin, they're all coming in to really sort of pull things together that are available in the ether and make it easier for us to API everything towards near real time information gathering, information sort of collecting and optimizing. So all of that's happening now. And it's not unbeknownst to the underwriter, it's actually for enabling the underwriter, which is the most beautiful part.
0: All of this really highlights a huge opportunity that insurers in our industry has. But culturally, we've got to change our mindset. It's a quote that I think you actually shared with me is that old thinking will not get you where you need to be. That's such a true statement. What do insurance leaders need to do differently? How do they bring in that new thinking? How do they embrace it so that they can really take advantage of these opportunities, Hannah?
1: Certainly no silver bullet to that one. <laughs> I think majority of the industry wants to be customer-centric. That's why we spend so much time looking at customer 360 and you know, the customer experience and all of that. That's become a big part of our dialogue in almost every board meeting I go to, every conversation that I'm having at the CX levels, they are talking about the customer in some way. Not always, you know, how to be customer-centric, but what's the feedback from the customer? Who is the customer? Who's profitable? Which customer is more profitable? So there's a dialogue more and more about the customer and we're referring to them as a customer as opposed to the policyholder or or sort of, you know, words that maybe are a little bit more ambiguous to there's a human being at the end of it or even end company at the uh, the end of the line. I think the most critical thing is that When we have that dialogue, let's think about the entire value chain of insurance. You know, how do we start to think differently? Well, we have all the Lego pieces. Not only do we have underwriting, but we have reserving, we have pricing, we have risk, we have claims, we have, you know, engineering. All of the parts of the existing value chain, for some reason, were broken into two parts. They were broken into functional things that had to make things, you know, stand the ground and control, keep control in the organization. And to other things that were more businessy and growth, let's really think about why that dichotomy exists and why are we bifurcating so like crudely when we are bifurcating? What does that end up resulting in the culture of, of the organization? Today's company perhaps would think of data not as a control, not as, you know, just first line of defense or privacy or, or PII. It's not just that anymore. It's about the business and growth. So how do we take something like a function like data and get away from the control concept and talk about it from a business concept it's not just the organization where it sits because that does dictate behavior i do you know we human beings i guess i've only seen it this way where structure does dictate behavior you take the same person in a data company under it you put them into the data division in the business all of a sudden they think differently their kpis are different they find resolutions and solutions differently. And so the real reality, I think, for us is that in order to create that cultural movement, I mean, we have an inertia. And if you think about physics, the only way to stop inertia, which is going in one direction, is to hit it with an equal force, which is painful. The only other way to do it is to start to look at how is our structure of the company creating different behaviors? And how do we start to evolve that? No revolution, and evolution, how do we evolve that?
0: So this has been a fascinating conversation, Hannah. One of the things I'd like to do, kind of wrap things up, is to ask everybody to pick one word or phrase that describes the future of insurance and what would it be. I'd like you to kind of give your perspective of that because I think you've got a really interesting view having had the varied uh, background that you have and also kind of the really interesting views on data and analytics. So what would you pick and why? I love this little, this theme that you have though, Denise, because every time I hear your podcast, I love it. I would
1: pick authenticity. If we were to describe where insurance is headed in the future, it's going to become more authentic. It's going to become more transparent. And that is going to happen. I hope it happens in our lifetime, but me and you both, I think that's where we want to head that way. And everyone that I've met that are game changers within their companies that are motivators that are motivated to make the world better, to really be the the soul of the industry's sort of go-forward strategy, they're authentic, they're transparent. And that's what we want in our industry. We want the next generation to see us as authentic. And if you think about digital companies, that's what they do really, really well. There's maybe to a fault, super authentic.
0: Well, I love that word. And it's one that hasn't been used. So congratulations to you, Hannah. Awesome. But I got to tell you, it has been so much fun getting to know you personally and professionally. And I'm looking forward to our continued collaboration over the next number of years. You've got just some amazing insights. And I think that where we are as an industry, we're only on the cusp of what the possibilities are. And it's just going to take a lot of hard work, but it's going to take a lot of courage. And it's going to take a lot of leadership to get us to where we need to be.
1: I agree, Denise. It's only hard work. So that's what it is. It's only hard work. It's super, super hard work. Not like it's magic trick or impossible. It's just hard, hard work. And that's what I love about it.
0: Well, thanks for everything that the contributions that you've made and looking forward to our further collaboration, Hannah. Thank you so much, Denise. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's episode of Future of Insurance Industry Leaders podcast. Subscribe to our market leading podcast series available wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you for listening and be sure to tune in the next time.